Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Alex Spielman, who is an 18-year-old queer and trans Asian American from the Bay Area. Alex uses spoken word to express their frustration with the systems of oppression that affect them and many other people. They are studying sociology at De Anza College and are hoping to become a teacher in order to make a difference in the lives of other young people who have experienced similar trauma to themselves. Alex has struggled with their mental health for the majority of their lifetime and knows firsthand the difficulties that come with seeking help and support. So welcome, Alex, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. And before we start, I like to ask every guest, to be honest, how are you doing today? To be honest, uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm not great. Um, I think it would be weird if I was great right now, considering all the bizarre shenanigans happening out in the world. Mm-hmm. There's a truck that's decided to beep right outside my window <laughs> right now. So, um, but you know, I'm I'm okay. Today is a, a good day. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad today is good. And I totally understand how you're feeling with, you know, the world circumstances right now. But um, yeah. So would you mind sharing a bit about your experience with mental health? Yeah. Um, So when I like look back at my own life, it's I, I can't really find a point where I didn't kind of have this baseline of of depression and anxiety and um, because I didn't really have a, any other like starting point, I, I didn't know that it wasn't like normal. Um, the, the things that I was feeling um, and also like my, my parents both also struggle with mental um, health challenges. So the kind of, I guess the model that I had growing up was like not maybe not one that like typically people have. Um, I, I struggled a lot with feelings of like low self-worth and um, I, I, I don't really feel like calling it, bullying is like the most the, the best descriptor but but I, I really struggled um, with the social parts of school um, I didn't feel like anyone understood me in the way that I was meant to be understood um, I felt really isolated uh, and because um, ever since I've like been old enough basically to to talk and and choose how I want to present my gender it it hasn't matched up with the like the conception of you know what what my like body is supposed to look like according to the doctor and the letter that's stamped on my birth certificate and the name and the pronouns that that teachers would use for me um, and because of that, like difference, uh, a lot of people were confused and didn't really know how to treat me. Um, a lot of people felt like they had 
the right to like ask me extremely invasive and personal questions. Um, and this was before I, I had the language, like I knew that transgender people existed out there in the world, but I didn't like have the, especially like the, the terms I use now are transmasculine and non-binary because I don't feel like my gender is like explicitly male and the, the kind of conception that I had back as a young person was like, I, 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 I can't be transgender because I don't feel like the most macho, like muscly drinking beer and sports or whatever it is that like is the stereotypical thing that men do. Uh, so I, I'm not transgender. Um, and I, I kind of, when I got to middle school, I, I found the label of, of butch lesbian. And that was kind of the first time that I like found it, it was like discovering this piece of the puzzle almost. Um, and, and so I, I, I finally like was able to place myself in the context of like other people in a way that actually felt more aligned to who I actually was and not like I was just playing this role like of an actor that I hadn't like consented to. Um, and that was, that was the, around the time that I placed, um, or I, I began to like seek out other, other people in the community who had like similar identities as I did. Um, and, and I came out um, and it was mostly the reception was positive. I did, um, but for for a few people at school, it did make my life um, more difficult. And uh, I ended up, because of the constant like harassment that I was receiving, um, it was just like, like every day it would be like, I would be called slurs. I, I, couple times have like school supplies thrown at me and and so it was this like constant like that just added to my already my sense of alienation at school just like made me feel like school is never going to be a place where I will ever feel safe um I, I didn't feel like the my, that my peers respected me or understood me when I reached out to adults. I, I remember I, I told a guidance counselor about what was happening. Um, and she basically, in, in a more polite way, told me to just ignore it and that it wasn't her problem. And I remember like walking out of that office just with this knowledge in my gut that like adults are not going to help me. I have to deal with this situation myself if I ever want it to be resolved. And that's, that's not a healthy thing for a child to feel that they have to, to do. Um, and now I, I'm trying to look back at myself with more compassion, but, um, but, 
in that place that I was, I ended up doing something that I regret and I ended up um, getting into a physical altercation with, with one of the people who was consistently uh, making homophobic and transphobic remarks to me. Um, and like, it's not something I'm proud of. I, it, it doesn't even feel great to like admit it on a podcast, but I, I think it's important that I do share that part of my story because after that happened, it kind of changed the way that I was seen in the, from the perspective of the school system um, because of one action, one like mistake that had harmed somebody, but one action that I had made because I, I, I didn't have the tools to, to have any other way or any other solution. I was like operating based on this, like on, on the only thing that I felt that could give me any sort of sense of control. But because of that one instance, um, it kind of felt like staff and teachers and stuff just kind of gave up on me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they stopped reaching out to me. They stopped supporting me academically. And it kind of felt like this, the expectation that I was going to be successful had just been removed and was no longer there. And, and suddenly I began to experience things in the school system that like, that gave me a glimpse into like, for other folks, that's, that's the only experience they have is going to school, feeling like they don't belong, feeling like teachers don't respect them that they're only seen as people who are up to no good and troublemakers. And it, it's just terrible. And like, again, it's, it's not, how can we treat, how can we as a society treat our children like that and then expect them to, to grow up and, and be able to like emotionally self-regulate and be stable when they haven't been shown the, the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and at, at, at that point I was, I was really, I was deeply suicidal. I, I felt like I had no control. Um, I, school wasn't a safe place for me. Um, and at home it was just difficult because my parents were, were doing the best they could, but they were dealing with the, their own mental illnesses and also just the really really strong generational trauma on both sides of my family tree um and and so i i i i've kind of carried this like suicidal ideation piece for for many years now um but one of the things i or the two things that saved my life during that that period that was probably the darkest period of my life was finding a community of other queer people, um, both young people my age and then also adults um, mm -hmm. who had been through 
the things that I had experienced and had come out the other side and had lived to tell the tale and to share that the the wisdom and just the knowledge that it 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 does get better as cheesy and like <laughs> annoying as that sounds um and then also um when I got to high school I I made a connection with the first teacher who since like the the incident had had ever seen me not for what a, a piece of paper in my record was but for me as a person as a as mm -hmm. a person who was capable of of doing great things a person who had worth and value and that was just so I'm getting like actual goosebumps right now, but that was so powerful and mm -hmm. and life-changing and something that should not be the exception. It should be the norm. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, you touched on something really important there with where school should be a support system one and two teachers. I think a lot of teachers, not not to put teachers down because teachers are great. But I think some teachers see students as, you know, their students are supposed to come to school, sit down, learn, receive the information, you know, repeat it back to them and then like move on to their next class. Whereas these are young people that have so many facets of their life. They have home lives, they have social lives, they have their questions within themselves, you know, like they're they're going through a lot. And I think it's important for teachers to recognize that. And I'm glad that there was that one teacher for you to do that and to see you for who you are. So I think that's really important. Yeah. And like right now, as I'm, you know, in college and kind of thinking about what kind of career I want, I feel really drawn to the profession of teaching just because of of the things that I I didn't get for so long. And the things that that teacher was able to give me and and how I, I feel compelled to, to, if I can do that for a, just one young person who is in that, like, that horrible place, like, I, I feel like it's, it's almost like an easing of my own burden. Yeah, definitely. I think that's amazing that you want to give back to students in the way that, you know, some people can be there for you, but it sounds like, yeah, you have a an unique perspective, I think would really help a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting that you're going into teaching though. So do you want to teach like middle school, high school, elementary school? What, what are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, high school, maybe middle school. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's awesome. Um. So when you first started experiencing symptoms of a mental illness, I know you kind of mentioned that you, you don't really remember a time when you weren't experiencing something, but when you first, was there a time when you first noticed it or when you first felt like you could share that with someone? Yeah. Um, I like, I think it was before like kind of, the end of elementary school, beginning of middle school, I was kind of existing in this like depression baseline where I wasn't like actively in crisis or actively suicidal, but I just never like, even when I felt joy, it was kind of muted. 
Um, but it, it was really like around like sixth, seventh, eighth grade that I, I started to experience like the kind of the symptoms that, that make up my diagnoses now. Um, a lot of like the suicidal ideation, just feeling worthless, um, panic attacks. Um, I, I also, um, struggled a little bit with auditory hallucinations. Um, and I, I don't have like a psychosis diagnosis, but, um, I, with my psychiatrist, I've kind of figured out that like being in that like low of a mental state for like pro like literally years like kind of has kind of almost like altered something in my brain or something um but but that's a thing that i struggle with when and i, I kind of know that that's a sign okay my my depression is getting really bad and this is like uh when i need to really reach out for help mm-hmm. yeah and i know you kind of mentioned that you you found a like community of people that could surround you and support you um so what was that experience like and how would you suggest other people go about doing the same thing i mean um so i uh i've i um had found a list of like, like resources for LGBTQ plus youth in the Bay area. And literally I just picked the first one I, I clicked on was the one at the top of the list and I went there and that worked out so well that I haven't really bothered to check out a lot of the other places. (laughs) Um, That's good though. (laughs) Yeah. But like, and I, I think the most difficult thing was going into the physical space because I had so many feelings of like, Oh my God, like what if they don't like me? And because one of the, the diagnoses I have is social anxiety disorder and that's gotten better, a lot better um, recently. But back then it was just like terrifying this, this prospect of going in to this space with strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but just from the beginning i there was just this such this the sense of love like at, like these people didn't really know who i was or anything about me but they were they were willing to like to take the time to listen to me and to like to validate me and that was it, to any like young person who is going through, who, who's struggling with their mental health, also to to folk to folks in the LGBTQ plus community that you, even if they aren't struggling with their mental health, I, I if I could just tell you one thing to do that to help you, like one piece of advice that I have is to find a, a space, a community like that, because like especially battling depression is not really something you can do alone. Like as much (laughs) as sometimes my brain wants to, to isolate, like it's these people, the people that I love and the people that love me and care about me, 
that that's where I draw my strength. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm forever grateful to those, those people that have done that for me and to like, to people, to young people that are in a similar situation that I was just know that those people are out there and we are like, we might not always, or actually probably we, we will probably never have a magic instantaneous solution to all your problems but sometimes it's enough just to have somebody who knows what it feels like to just sit with you definitely yeah i think that's really awesome that you found that community and for those in santa clara county who are interested in using that resource would you mind sharing which one was helpful for you yeah so it's the lgbtq youth space um their website is literally youthspace.org so very easy to remember. Did you happen to seek professional assistance? Um, I know you mentioned that you had your community of people, but what was it like? Did you seek professional assistance for your mental health during that time as well? Yeah. I mean, it was like almost like I couldn't really not because um, it was like, like in in middle school, it was literally so bad that I like couldn't get out of bed mm-hmm. so like obviously my parents are like okay something's up so here's let's set you up with the therapist um i've had a lot of different therapists some awesome some not so awesome um i i think also like and a piece of advice is that like if you don't click with your therapist or if your therapist does something that like makes you uncomfortable you don't have to just like sit there and take it and just ignore your own feelings it's okay to like it's okay to tell them like this what you said like made me uncomfortable and it's okay to like try to seek out another person if it just isn't clicking for you Mm -hmm. um i i think i've become a very discerning consumer of therapy (laughs) from all my years. Um, I've, and and I've been on medication for a while. So obviously um, that's been through the, the professional mental health help that Mm -hmm. I've gotten. Yeah. I think that's important. I think, yeah. I, especially with social anxiety, I assume like saying something about how you're uncomfortable may be hard to do, but um, I think that's important for you to, you know, stand up for yourself and say something in times of need. And it's really important to find the right, the help that's right for you, that fits for you. So yeah, I completely agree with that advice. Um, was there something in particular that helped you heal or aided in your recovery during this time? I have a lot of different things. Like, obviously, I had that community of people to to rely on and to connect with. Um, I really started to, I think I've always kind of been a creative person, whatever that means. Like, um, I, I like to draw, I like to, to write, um, I play the drums and a little bit of some other instruments um and like it's fun in a sense of like it's a hobby and so it it takes if i'm anxious about something or ruminating 
doing those kinds of creative activities helps me get my mind off of it. But in another sense, it's, it's especially my poetry that I write is, it's almost like purging. Like it's, it's cathartic in this way of like, I, I take this, like the feelings that I struggle with and the like thoughts that I have and all this stuff. And I kind of, it's, I almost like, barf it out onto the paper and then it's there and it's not like within me anymore. Yeah. That's awesome. You have that outlet. Um, and speaking of spoken poetry, I was hoping you could perform one of your pieces right now. Yeah. So I kind of my two flavors of poetry that I write are, um, about my personal like struggles with my mental health and also about kind of the structural oppressions that I struggle with and that I see people struggle with. Um, So I am going to read this poem that I wrote uh, called Trans Joy. And I think I need to give a little trigger warning or just general figure warning. I have written too many poems about death, dedicated too many of my words to those who would throw them away like they were never there. I have painted too many morbid portraits and how typical of someone like me, but I don't know any other way. How familiar I am with sculpting my pain into something acceptable for you, into something that does not stir up controversy. How familiar I am with the hand around my throat, the boot on my face, that the absence of pain feels like the absence of hope. Is this what we were meant for? For spoken word obituaries, for dead friends, for subjugation, for war, for television cameos, a collage of our realities. For police policies that cost us our lives, they prey on the weakest among us, then tell us it cannot be slaughter when it happens so slow, it's not a coup when it's sponsored on your TV. And then I remember that that pride started with a brick, that Seattle was a riot, that any revolution must first blossom from injustice, from the rage of the oppressed. I remember the girl I saw with her fist in the air, fingers furled tightly, clutching at that hope for posterity. I have written too many poems about death, and never again will I let her cold hands take away my fight, my fight that the world has tried to beat out of me, my fire that you can't extinguish, my joy that I seek. Wow. (laughs) I think I'm speechless. That was amazing. (laughs) Thank you. How long does it usually take you to write a piece of poetry like that? Um, I don't edit them because then I get too critical. So I kind of maybe like around 10 minutes to 30 minutes and it's Mm -hmm. just stream of consciousness. Yeah. And I kind of, I can can tell it's very raw and real. So yeah, it's amazing. So is there, I mean, I'll ask you again at the end, but is there some place that you share your poetry on a regular basis or, um, like a social media account that people can follow for more? I've been meaning to kind of start a consolidated place for my poetry, Mm -hmm. um, but I have not yet done so. I think 
the closest place would probably be maybe um or my handle on most social media is at queer american nightmare um which i started for uh my drag that i do um right now i'm kind of taking a break from most social media um but if if folks are really interested they can also email me um and i can share some of my poems with them as well that'd be awesome thank you The To Be Honest campaign was created by Momentum for Health and is sponsored by District 4 Inventory Funds, thanks to Supervisor Susan Ellenberg and Republic Urban Properties. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Delahaye. Music for the episode was made by Julia Steele. Thank you so much for tuning in as we continue to share stories of youth and young adults throughout the Bay Area who have personal experience with behavioral health issues. If you have a personal story or experience you'd like to share on the podcast, please email us at tbh.today at gmail.com. To learn more about the To Be Honest campaign and the podcast, we encourage you to visit our website, www.tobehonest.today, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at tobehonest.today. All this information is also in the show notes, so we look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye.